Welcome to Spiritual Shit, your guide to the down and dirty of modern spirituality. This podcast is a place for people wanting to discover more about spirituality, where we can get weird about ghosts, mediumship, psychics, aliens, religion, new age stuff, awakening, ascension, star seeds, channeling, philosophy, and even dating. Some shows will be just me rambling about my mystical experiences and discoveries, and other shows will have guests to open up new perspectives and views. I hope you'll join me on this journey as we discuss and open up what spirituality in today's world really looks like. Remember to like and subscribe to never miss an episode and hit me up at thelovelylea.com or at thelovelylea on Instagram so we can connect. Rachel Reimer is a medical intuitive that helps people understand why they aren't feeling well and what steps they can take to start their journey towards better health. She achieves this through being given someone's name in a recent picture to gain her psychic insights. Being able to see entities and feel someone's dis-ease from an early age, Rachel created Ray of Hope LLC with the intention to lovingly provide a ray of hope to one's health journey. She works with clinical medical practitioners as another resource to help patients discover what is ailing them. It is important to her that people that have been given up on still have options if they wish to improve their lives because she believes that the body has the ability to heal itself at the physical, emotional, and spiritual level. That our physical symptoms are merely a physical manifestation of how we feel on the inside, and to change physical symptoms, one must address their thoughts and beliefs. Once this starts to occur, the body starts to function better, and the individual has a deeper sense of who they are. Please welcome Rachel to the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Spiritual Shit. I'm your host, Aaliyah Lovely, and today we are here with Rachel Reimer. How are you doing, Rachel? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Good. I'm really, really excited today because we're going to talk about um, medical intuitive-ism <laughs> or medical medium-isms, um, if you will. Uh, it's kind of an exciting topic because especially today while we're dealing with so many health aspects, people are kind of more concerned about their health given our current circumstances, but more deeper than that, we're going to get into belief systems and how those affect trauma in the body, um, disease, disease, and, um, and further and deeper things. So first, like, let's tell your guests, like what it is that you do. Sure. So my job is to go in and pinpoint why someone has developed something or why they're not getting better. And that tends to be from something that we've created emotionally. The body creates symptoms to let us know we're not 100% okay with something. So a lot of the times, uh, especially people with chronic illness, I find them being mad or upset with their body of why are you doing this to me? Why are you punishing me? In reality, your body's actually saying, I'm trying to help you. Like I'm the friend that's telling you what you don't want to hear right now. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a really important step to realize on this journey. So in general, I can also uh, pick up any kind of uh, physical realities as to why they have manifested, whether that's why am I not attracting the romantic relationship partner do I want that I want? Why am I not attracting the uh, finances that I want? With anything along the lines of that, mm -hmm. it comes from some kind of emotional belief or something that we're thinking inside of our head. Mm -hmm. And so, do you find that that belief often spreads not only into the manifestation aspects, but then also causing? Is it causing the medical issue? That's debatable. There are some things that I think are purely uh, physical, meaning that if you fall off a ladder and you break your arm, I don't necessarily think an, um, an emotional root happens with that. Now, it could be that you're avoiding something and that's your 
body's way of saying, hey, wake up kind of yeah. deal. But it, there are definitely just physical things in this world. I would say at least 90% are probably based with some kind of emotion as well, though. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so what you do is then you go in with a person, you sit down, you're able to empathically or psychically uh, pick up what it is that they, how does it come to you? So it, it honestly depends. In general, I work really well uh, visually. So anytime I just have a recent picture of someone, I can go in and look at different parts of the body and then I can see that one part isn't working quite right. And I normally do a number system with that. And then from there, I can see, okay, well, you have so-and-so stuck in your body, whether that's anger, grief, resentment, guilt, whatever that is, I can go in, pinpoint specifically what that is. We can talk about it, become 100% okay with it, and then the body no longer has the need to remind you of that anymore. Mm-hmm. Okay. What did you say, the number system? What is that? Yeah. So imagine a, a speedometer in a car where you go mm-hmm. from like zero to 100 miles per hour. So every area in your body carries a number from the way that I do my work anyway. So essentially 90 to 93% when any part of your body has that, that's normally when I see someone pass away. So that can be organ failure or something along the lines of that. Like zero to 10% is normally a functional value where you're like, hey, I don't feel great. And then it doesn't show up on traditional lab work. 10 to 90%, you can find that in any kind of normal lab work or exam that a medical professional would exhibit or perform. So I like to use that number system because it also validates when people say, I know something's wrong, but it's not showing up on these tests yet. Mm -hmm. It is there. It just hasn't manifested physically to the degree where a medical, traditional medical professional would pick up on it. So that works really well with more of the preventative uh, medicine mindset of, okay, let's say you're at an eight with something where it's not quite severe enough where you might need to be on a prescription, but there's something that can be done, whether that's a food, a supplement, a herb, whatever that is, there's something that can be done to prevent it from progressing even further. Wow. Okay. So for yourself, like we're going to go back a little bit mm-hmm. and kind of um, talk to me about like, was this like a, already a passion of yours? Were you already interested in kind of medical aspects or the body? Um, how did you discover your gifts and then thus come to this path? Right. So I've been able to see things ever since I was little. I always thought that other people could see them as well. Mm-hmm. So I didn't ask a lot of questions. I, I had a lot of anxiety when I was younger. So I just assumed that other people went through what I did, mm-hmm. which is funny looking back at it now because I had twin brothers that are 18 months younger than me. And I would wake my mom up almost every single night in the middle of the night until I was maybe like 17 or 18 out of just fear and panic. Cause I'm like, why is this person in my room? Why am I seeing this? Why wow. am I experiencing that? And then I, I suppose that could have been a wake up call at that late where I'm like, my brothers don't do that. Like, why am I doing it? But mm-hmm. it just never clicked during that time. And I remember seeing like shadows, figures, like actual people standing in my bedroom. And I'm like, why is no one else scared to fall asleep at night? Like, I don't, I don't understand this. Like you guys are just fine with this. This isn't making any sense. Was this something Um, your mom was like, like, Oh, okay. Yeah, totally. Or was she like, you're just making it up, like go to sleep. Like I, I didn't really mention any of those details specifically because I thought she could see them. I know that sounds bizarre to most people, but like assume that I wake up and I see this man standing in my room. I'm assuming that she can see that as well. And she's acknowledging it and saying, this is no big deal. Just go back to bed. 
Yeah, okay. So I, I didn't have the need to speak up and describe these things in mm -hmm. detail. Um, and I remember that the more that I kind of went into this denial when I did start asking these questions, that's when I started really declining in my own health. Mm -hmm. And I got really frustrated with the whole medical community because um, I felt like I wasn't getting the answers that I wanted. And I just kept getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And I finally reached this point in that journey where I was laying on the couch one day and I was like, you know what, I might be really sick with cancer or something else. I don't know what's going on but I give up right now because I, I don't get it. And when I finally had that sense of almost like a surrender type feeling I of say that. <laughs> whenever, whenever that happens, happens, that's fine. And I ended up seeing this commercial for an alternative health clinic. And I normally, I don't, I don't think I've ever been prompted to call someone from a like a commercial, <laughs> on but I was just like, fuck it. Like, just let's try it. I have yeah. nothing else to lose at this point as weird timing that I just said that and that popped up. Let's go for it. Mm -hmm. So I went to this office and as the, um, I saw this woman and as this woman helped me physically, one day she realized that I could see the things that I see mm -hmm. because she can also see them. Oh, so I was looking off in the corner one day and I saw this guy sitting at a table and he was going through like the accounting books or whatever. And I, I can make the distinction between if I, now looking back at it, I can normally make the distinction as someone else can see it. I still was having issues with that during that time, but I was yeah. slightly better at it. But I knew that that wasn't a real person. Like I couldn't just, I know that other people wouldn't go up and talk to this person necessarily, mm -hmm. if that yeah. makes sense. But they might see him or feel him or know he's there. Yeah. Um, and again, I know that sounds strange from like a normal human being perspective, but this is not my, on this show. <laughs> yeah. But from my mind growing up, this is kind of what my thought process was. Mm -hmm. And I remember looking at him and she's like, oh, you see him too. Yeah. That's the owner's dad back there. He's making sure all of the books are okay. Girl. And I, my eyes got really big and I just kind of froze and it's almost like my throat kind of sunk into my stomach with yeah. like huge anxiety and then we just didn't talk about it the rest of the appointment and then I left <laughs> and I continued coming back to her and eventually she kind of like if I was like a like a pistachio she like slowly chipped away at the outside <laughs> shell and was like you, you need to talk about this. Mm. Uh, she, one day she bluntly sat me down and was like, this is why you're sick. Oh, wow. You don't deal with this. You won't get better. Mm -hmm. Sorry for tapping on the microphone. Let me read <laughs> in case you need to edit that part out. Um, one time she bluntly sat me down and explained that if I don't address this, that I'm never going to get better. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, this is the worst thing possible. I was like, I, I have to get better. I can't keep doing this with myself. Mm -hmm. So I said, this is terrifying. I don't understand what's going on. I don't know how to deal with this or what to do. But okay, if you really think that this is what I need to do to get better, then I'm going to do it. Because this, to me at this time, sounded like the most rational choice possible. If yeah. someone sees the answer. What kind of um, symptoms were you having? So I was experiencing uh, symptoms similar to costochondritis. So I was having extreme chest pain to the point where I was feeling like I was having a heart attack some days. Um, I had a lot of fatigue similar to fibromyalgia. Um, from a medical standpoint, when working with her, I had um, just a viral immune challenge that kind of took over my whole body, but it wasn't um, showing up on like a typical CBC. 
mm-hmm. that like a normal Western medical doctor would go through, but she went through and did um, different functional medicine work and ended up finding that we treated that mm-hmm. and that got significantly better over time. Um, so there's definitely physical and emotional components, even with my own body. And I completely acknowledge that. However, I realized the more that I did this emotional work, the faster and quicker that I healed. It wasn't like this stuck in stone process where I felt like I was never moving or doing anything. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was also interesting to see that flare ups would correlate to when my emotional beliefs would start to pick back up. Yeah. Yeah. This is annoying. I don't want to deal with this. And it's almost like just give me a pill to make it stop, which is kind of the typical modern mindset of I don't want to deal with this. Just give me something so I don't have to deal with it. Yeah. So it's it's been a huge learning journey as far as that goes. So she was actually a huge mentor for both sides of what I do on the physical end with working with providers and on the emotional end of recognizing what some of these emotional patterns look like. And then later throughout um, college, when I did start to regain my health, I ended up working in a chiropractic office and it became a running joke in the office of, well, Rachel can just answer the phone and know what someone's primary complaint is. <laughs> I would like write down my guests. I'd see that new patient at 9 a.m., have no idea what they're coming in for, would process the new patient paperwork, hand it to the chiropractor and like smile. And she's like, I don't understand how you're doing this. So that was a really cool experience to see more physical ailments and conditions through the door where it's already diagnosed and identified. Mm-hmm. And then I can say, okay, from my perspective, this is what this looks like and almost mm-hmm. take a snapshot. Yeah. And then when you look at more people throughout time, it's okay, this looks like this patient, this patient mm-hmm. had X condition, run this past the provider that I work with and see what their thoughts are and they can run the appropriate lab work or exams or whatever. So you're operating as an additional like holistic uh, cog in the wheel, essentially, of like being able to assess someone's not just their physical, but their spiritual. Yeah. So I'm basically a whole other resource to a provider. So it's similar to lab work. I'm just another form of lab work where wow. they can make their best diagnosis and treatment plan. I'm not telling them what to do, but I'm also saying look at this area. I know you're not considering it right now, but just take a look at it and see what pops up. I remember doing one case really early in the work that I do. I think it was within the first year that I was practicing. And I I got a case of a woman that she was having minor hormonal imbalance or something along the lines of that. And I immediately looked at her picture when I pulled up the case and I was like, I really think she has a brain tumor. And I was like, logically makes sense, Rachel. Like she's having minor hormonal imbalances, everything that you've been taught that doesn't, that doesn't correlate. And then I go, and I know, however, her brain looks funny. There's this thing stuck up in there and it's not supposed to be there. And I don't know what that is. So I remember having a conversation with the provider that I worked with and I, I still work with her today. And I'm sure she remembers the story. And I was like, hey, I think you need to like check her for a brain tumor. She's like, she has minor hormonal imbalances. I'm not going to check her for a brain tumor. I said, I know, I get it. Like just do the first round of whatever testing that would be to go through and do that. So she ended up doing that. I don't remember specifically what that lab work was or those exams were, but it showed up positive. And then she did the next round that showed up positive. And then she went to a I think she got a CT scan done. I don't remember what specific scan she got done, but it showed that she had a pituitary tumor. And that wow. was pituitary. And that was, from my perspective anyway, that was leading to her hormonal issues. And it's really frustrating that the uh, person reading that report said this is an incidental finding. Like, 
And I was like, no, it's like, not. Bullshit. Like, went through this whole entire process to get this answer. So from my perspective, that was a really cool experience and my own kind of self-confirming, like, okay, mm -hmm. like that was not an incidental fighting finding. Like you fought really hard to go through this path. Yeah. And I think most people would want to know if they have a pituitary tumor, whether or not it's benign. <laughs> like most people are like, yeah, I want to know this. I want to know what's in my head. <laughs> yeah. So experiences like that have been really cool and been really helpful for some of these patients because even though it doesn't logically make sense, mm -hmm. sometimes it's still there. And sometimes um, it's nice to have that extra resource for providers to say, okay, I can at least narrow this down. Even if that isn't true, I can at least rule it out. Yeah. So how does that information come to you? Is it like, um, and we talked about it a little bit earlier, but like, I want to get specific. Okay. Um, so like, is, is it that you're seeing something clairvoyantly? Are you seeing, are you feeling like a frequency from someone? Do you experience it in your own body? How does it show up for you? So from a healthy standpoint, it's typically just on that number spectrum mm -hmm. where I can go in and look at it and then I can say, okay, is this an immune challenge? Is this related to food? What is it related to? And then I can pinpoint it that way. And that's just kind of an, an intuitive knowing process. I can definitely feel other people's pain. Mm -hmm. I've learned that is definitely not the most productive route for doing my work. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> tiring and it's very emotional. So yeah. coming up with that system has been a lot more beneficial and I can help a lot more people. So that tends to be what I do. Now, there are definitely times where I'm laying in bed and I just start crying for no reason. And I call my mom and I'm like, mom, why are you upset? And she might be like, my ice cream cone dropped on the floor. And I'm like, I feel you. Like, I literally feel you. That's very upsetting. I get it. <laughs> That does happen, especially with the people that I'm really close to. It doesn't happen near as much with strangers. Sometimes it can, like, let's say someone has a severe migraine where they might be on like 10 prescriptions for it or something like mm -hmm. that. Sometimes if I'm walking someone, walking past someone in a grocery store, I might feel that if it's yeah. very severe. Um, most of the time, I'm pretty good about blocking that out. But sometimes in more public events, even like a baseball game, mm -hmm. 60,000 people at a baseball yeah. game, sometimes that's a little bit more difficult to kind of turn off. Because other times, like I remember going to different baseball games where I'm walking just normally and then someone passes me and I'm like, oh, <laughs> and it's, it's one of those things where I'm like, I want to go up and talk to you, but I know that I'm violating boundaries if I do that. But I'm also like, dude, you're going to have a heart attack soon. Like you need to change wow. But he would have, if he was ready to hear that and do that, he'd already be doing that himself. Yeah. That isn't necessarily going to change anything. Yeah. Yes, I'm curious about that because I have, I have something similar where I, I feel other people's pain physically um, and emotionally. And I usually, like you said, you can see a picture for me, it's through sound. So the frequency of someone's voice usually tunes me into that. Yeah. And so, um, there was one time where my sister had just like, we talked to each other just very briefly on the phone. And all of a sudden I started to feel really, really sad. Like, like, like someone was going to die. And I was like, Oh, what the hell is going on? Like, I just feel so agitated and, and anxious and whatever, and not making the connection that I just talked to my sister. Um, and so I had, went through the whole day, like another, like four or six hours or something like that, where I was just so, so upset and scared that like, I was going to lose someone really close to me. And then, um, come to find out, I totally had forgot that it was the anniversary of one of my sister's dear friends who had passed away. Oh. And so like, she was really feeling it that day, but hadn't mentioned anything. And I had 
tuned into it emotionally and even physically, like my body felt achy and stuff. It was just whole thing. So anyway, that's why I was curious, like how it comes to you. If that's something that, you know, like, um, when you're, like you said, in public, are you feeling these things? Are you, are things showing up for you in that way? Um, how long have you done this? So I've been doing it professionally for about three years. As far as picking up those insights, I've done it since about 2014. That's when I first really started practicing regularly uh, mm-hmm. with it. So um, before we jump to any further, I, I get this feeling to tell this story. Maybe someone needs to hear it. So um, I remember recently, anyway, I've been getting more clear about when someone's going to pass away. It's this very bizarre thing where they'll show up on the right side of my bed and they're almost clear as day, like how I see you and me, but they're just standing there and they're present. And it's just this type of feeling I get like they're going to pass away. So uh, earlier this past, or actually the past year, like June of 2019, I had my great aunt standing next to me and I didn't know her very well. I think I've met her once or twice in my life, but she's very identifiable because she loves purple. Like Mm -hmm. everything this woman owns is purple. Like she dyes her (laughs) underwear purple, her front step to her house was purple. Like she is hardcore purple and she was dressed all in purple. And I'm like, okay, that's just a confirmation. This is who this is. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, I think she's going to pass soon. And she wasn't doing well in the nursing home. So that wouldn't have been surprising. About three weeks later, I was sitting at my desk and I heard this gunshot go off and I got really concerned. And I live in a safe neighborhood too, so it's weird. I never hear gunshots go off and I just felt weird. But like a few seconds after I heard that, I felt like I was bleeding out, like my stomach was bleeding out. And I was bugging out because I'm not sitting by a window when this is Mm -hmm. happening or anything like that. It sounded like it was miles away, but you can still hear it. But I was, I was so freaked out by the sensation of feeling like I was bleeding out that I ran to the bathroom and I literally lifted up my shirt and I'm like, no, I'm good. Why do I feel like I'm bleeding out? And I didn't understand it. And then I got a text message like an hour later from my mom and she said that my great aunt passed away. And I said, did she happen to pass away an hour ago? And my mom said, yeah, why do you ask that? And I said, because I think I felt her spirit or her soul leave her body. So from my perspective, the spirit or the soul can sometimes be seated in the um, stomach area. And it was like, I felt this huge thing leave my body. And that was such a weird experience to me because it felt so real. It felt like it was my own but that was something that I've never experienced before and I felt like one of your listeners needed to hear that so whoever yeah. was that was the gunshot internal then or was that an actual thing that happened it just happened actual, to be the same yeah time. it was an actual thing that happened like I, I knew that that was real and I, mm-hmm. I remember like going to the reports online and trying to be like like the I don't know EMS reports or something yeah. and, you know, okay was there a gunshot in the area and I just couldn't find one mm-hmm. but I knew there was one because I, I heard it I don't know if it was a residential thing or whatever it was because we kind of live out in the country. Um, we have, I have a medium that I just interviewed. Um, her episode's coming up in a couple of weeks or so. Um, it probably will have already aired by the time people are listening to this. But um, she had said that mediumship comes from the solar plexus. And so like when you're trying to connect with other consciousnesses um, who are beyond, it comes from that area. So I wouldn't be surprised that if that's something you were connecting to with her, it would come from there. Yeah. It was a really unique and interesting experience. So I think over time, 
I keep getting that my own mediumship skills will develop. I'm much yeah. more comfortable with the medical intuitive side of things. To me, yeah. that's bread and butter. Like the mediumship thing is still like, okay, I understand like people that are close to me. Like I can pick up messages really well. It's a little bit hard for me to do with strangers still at this point in time. Mm -hmm. but I thought that that was a cool experience to share. Yeah. It's a weird thing of feeling someone's soul leave their body. Yeah. Do you ever feel burdened by what you find out about other people and, or do you feel like it's hard to communicate to them? Cause uh, guests or listeners, uh, you guys, she's going to read me here in a little bit. Um, so I'm kind of nervous about what she's going to say. Um, but do you feel, do you feel burdened by that? Do you feel like sometimes it's really hard to communicate what it is that you think is happening and how do you, how do you deal with that? Like emotionally? Emotionally, anyway, I do counseling two times a week because otherwise I'd, I'd lose my shit. Yeah. Uh, some of the things that I know that I'm not able to tell people, I think that's just a normal human reaction to have some grief and guilt with that. Mm -hmm. At this moment in time, though, I know that what's worked for me the best is don't ask, don't tell kind of thing. As in, like, if you're not asking me and if you're not receptive to an answer, I'm not going to tell you. Yeah. I'm just going to leave it be because if you were actively seeking out an answer, you would probably be on the path towards repairing that or healing that in some mm -hmm. component or aspect. But it, let's say if you are 300 pounds overweight, I'm not going to go up to you and tell you, Hey, you might have a heart attack in two right. months. <laughs> Especially if they're just continuing their same patterns that are getting there. There's no point in me doing that. Mm -hmm. So are you, do you see that there are common, um, common diseases or disorders that align with common beliefs? Yes. So almost, almost all diseases and conditions from my perspective have relatively common beliefs. Louise Hay does a really good job of outlining, outlining the general principles of this in her book, You Can Heal Your Life. Mm -hmm. So from my perspective, um, like excess weight is typically related to not feeling loved. Mm -hmm. or needing that extra weight as a way to feel loved. Hashimoto's I typically see in women that have gone through a divorce or a separation and they mm -hmm. have rage and resentment towards that and that tends to be where that's stored in the body. Stomach issues tend to be some kind of lack of self-esteem. So my job isn't necessarily to do the category, it's to pinpoint mm -hmm. specifically what that memory was or what that specific phrase was that bothered you in order mm -hmm. to heal it. Because mm -hmm. it's very difficult to go in and say, Let's say the stomach deals with insecurities. Well, you're insecure. Well, I could be insecure about a lot of things. That's right. going to take a while to go through and sort out. But if you can tell me the exact moment or help me pinpoint that exact moment, that's going to help me heal a lot faster. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. I just find this to be so fascinating. <laughs> um, do you think that like in your background, like coming up when you were kind of sort of discovering some of the stuff about yourself, obviously you came to... Uh, a knowing or an interest out of it, out of you essentially healing yourself, right? Yeah. Um, so you getting to that, that space of knowing that you are able to pull yourself out of something that has been pretty severe. Have you ever had, um, like, since you're dealing with beliefs, you're not dealing necessarily with health, you're coming into health, figuring out what that is and get digging into the belief as a result to heal the belief that then thus the body then heals itself, right? Yes. Um, so what, how, sorry, I mean, like, um, when people come to you and they have a belief and you figure out what that belief is and you work together on whatever that is, um, have you had clients who simply cannot let go of that belief? And is there something that you do to facilitate or help people that have challenges around something that's so deeply anchored? 
It depends. If someone, normally the people that reach out to me are already ready, mm -hmm. as in they might hold resistance towards it of I don't want to believe that's true, but I know something needs to change. Yeah. If someone says, I don't think something needs to change in my life, I think I'm perfectly happy where I'm at. I can't do anything with that person. Right. Is there anybody that comes to you who's ready, who's willing, who is not able to get rid of the belief? Yes, I have a perfect example of that. I had a phone call with a woman that had stage four cancer one time. Mm. And from my perspective, her cancer was related to the fact that she felt like her husband never showed up for her and that he, she felt like he abused her. Mm -hmm. And I said, you realize that until you're ready to deal with this, that this cancer probably isn't going to go away, even if you get physical treatment. And I'm not a doctor, I'm not a medical professional or anything like that. But just if we're looking just at the emotional part of it, mm -hmm. you understand that this is what's going on. And she said, yes, and I'm not ready to handle it. I'm not ready to deal with it, or I'm not ready to change it yet. And she plain out just told me that. And I said, I respect your decision. That's hard. It's hard to talk about. Everything that I bring up is hard to talk about. And yeah. that's why we've stuffed it away because we don't want to talk about it because it's yeah. difficult. You yeah. have to be brave in order to handle these things. It's hard. Yeah. It's like, it's a lot to come up. Um, I'm just even thinking about my own, like shit. Like I'm just like, yeah, there's a lot of beliefs that I'm super, super aware of, but not sure how to get rid of. And it's like, okay, I know that that's a thing. I know that that's bothering me in some kind of way. I just have zero idea of how to, how to get rid of it. Can I give a general analogy that I typically give for just helping people when they feel like they can't let go? So I want you guys to imagine that you're in this remote village. And in this remote village, there are 10 houses and each house has a family. And then there's a bakery. You own the bakery, okay? There, imagine now in this small village where there's 10 houses, where there's one family per house and you just have the bakery and that's it, that there's a famine. And overnight, when you were gone and you went to your own house, each person from one house came and took a loaf of bread from your bakery. And you came back the next morning and you said, why did they do this to me? What's wrong with me? Why would they do this to me? Instead of these people have a need that they're trying to have met, get met, mm -hmm. and they don't know how to communicate that. And they would have felt bad or guilty for asking me. Instead, that person can, can acknowledge that and say, okay, if you guys are struggling, why don't we work out something where we can discuss it, where you, you can take the bread now and pay me two months from now or whatever that is. And also realize that it doesn't have to do with you personally because those villagers went right down the street and did the same thing to the um, butcher. Mm -hmm. Where that baker said, they did it to me and it mm -hmm. was only me and it was just as a, almost like a personal attack. Right. And when you realize that it has nothing to do with you and it's not personal and they did that to someone else, that tends to be when we can let go of that. Mm -hmm. And when we say personal, we're also making it personal because we're holding it in our own bodies. Mm -hmm. So when we realize it's not personal, then you're like, oh, okay. And it doesn't <laughs> bother me there as much. Because yeah. when, I, when I change that perspective from they did this to me compared to they were just trying to survive and get a need met. It's much more understanding and compassionate and you don't feel that anger, rage, or resentment anymore. Yeah. That's really interesting. I haven't thought about it like that. I think that's, that's really cool. Um, so, so given that like aspect and perspective of being able to dig into um, the subconscious or the emotional consciousness and um, not only deal with the physical, do you think that there is like 
as a whole, like that, is that missing in our medical communities? Um, the way, I mean, I have my opinions about how medical like works, especially in this country. Um, but is that something that you, obviously it's something that you do, so you value it, but like, um, is there, are there ways that that can be better implemented into our system? Um, do you think it would be largely helpful for other people to start digging into their subconscious and figuring out what it is that they're believing in order to heal themselves? And have you seen very large results from that? Yeah. So obviously stress is acknowledged in the medical professional community. It's just, well, this is stress reduced or stress induced or related to stress. And then you go home and as the patient and go, well, how do I just be less stressed out? Mm -hmm. Am I stressed over? Like they, they don't understand what that stress is or how to get rid of that stress. And it's almost like they just pawn them off. I am a huge fan of concierge medicine, which basically includes a closer relationship where your provider actually knows you as a human being mm -hmm. and goes, this is Doug. Doug is an artist. Doug works two days or three days a week. Doug's biggest insecurity right now is that he can't provide for his family. And Doug realizes that his digestive issues always pop up when he has, doesn't make a sale at his art show or something like that. Where if, when you know someone personally, these things start to show up more and more frequently. Where mm -hmm. I don't think it would be an issue if we had more of a relationship with our primary care doctor or even a specialist for that matter. But mm -hmm. normally it's the, I have my hand on the doorknob, I have seven minutes with you. How can I share that whole entire thing that just happened with Doug in seven minutes? That's yeah. not possible. Yeah. And it also doesn't leave room for, okay, I can temporarily give you this, but let's, how can we work on this long-term thing that's affecting you so much that, so that you can actually get off of this medication or get off mm -hmm. of this treatment eventually? And I think that's a huge, huge deal. I had one case that I got from a chiropractor one time where this woman was losing a huge amount of weight and there was no logical explanation for it whatsoever. I think she lost like 60 pounds within five months or something along Ooh. the lines of that chiropractor did a huge physical intake on her, spent a lot of time with her, talked with her a lot about just her normal everyday life, and was like, I give up. I don't, I don't get this. Like, please help me. So I ended up processing the case, and then from my perspective, something under her emotional part was, I, I can't take care of him the way that I want to. And I just wrote that down and it was very brief and very general. And I said, I don't understand this. This feels like it's related to a significant other figure, but I don't know what to make of this. I need more information. So the chiropractor just plain out sat down with her and told her that. And then she said, oh, I've been a caretaker for my husband with stage four cancer like the past year. And she's like, you didn't think that'd be important to tell me? And she's like, no, that has nothing to do with my weight. <laughs> it has everything to do. Yeah, and it's amazing because when you look at it from like a Louise Hay perspective of I'm losing weight, it's normally because I don't feel loved or nourished. Mm. If I don't feel loved or nourished, how can I keep weight on my body? Mm. You're always emptying your cup and taking care of someone else. Yeah. So it's amazing yeah. today how much people don't understand how their emotions are affecting their physical body. And I was exactly that way too. I remember going to several doctors and I was like, you don't understand, like I'm sick. And they're like, you're stressed out. Like, mm -hmm. and, I, and I was like, no, you don't understand. I'm sick. And they're like, no, we'll put you on like Cymbalta, like a mm -hmm. depression medicine or like anxiety. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. I'm sick. 
yeah. and realizing they could see a lot of the emotional stress and trauma that I had, but I couldn't see it yet because to me, it was a physical issue. I'm like, I have physical symptoms. Yeah. This is amazing because I think everybody has been in a situation where you've been to the doctor and you haven't been listened to. And someone has told you, you have something that you're like, I know it's not this, or I know it's deeper than this, or I know it's not just this, or it's not just in my head. Um, and unfortunately we have a systematic system that, um, I mean, we treat the symptom, we don't treat the cause or we don't dig deeper to look into the cause, um, which could be something, uh, a, a higher disorder of some sort or a higher, um, subconscious belief that could be really damaging the way that our body and our cells are working within ourselves. Um, and I want to emphasize too, that I'm not here to bash the medical community because I think they're very important in what they do. I like, I can't help someone physically when I work with providers, if their emotional stress is so high, like Mm -hmm. they might need to be on an anti-anxiety medicine for a few weeks while they're doing emotional work in order for any kind of physical treatment to actually kick in and to actually work. If I fall off of the ladder and my arm is off of my body, please perform surgery on me. Like, I appreciate <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and talk to you about what, what's happening in my life. <laughs> yeah. Please, please do that. I appreciate that so much. If I have a root canal or something like that, that needs to physically be addressed. Now that yeah. can be emotionally addressed and there can also be integrative care with that, but also something needs to be done physically. I appreciate yeah. you for going to school and doing this stuff. Yeah. But I don't think it's a one-all solution for every mm-hmm. single thing. You work symbiotically with the providers in order yeah. to have a holistic solution. Yeah. Like it is kind of one-sided. Yeah, I, I agree. The same thing. Like it's incredibly important what our doctors and our physicians and our nurses do. Um, it's just that we've ha- come from it from a very masculine energetic perspective where we don't look at the whole and haven't allowed ourselves to be able to look at the importance of an emotional aspects of ourselves or our subconscious. It's we have an emotional body, even like spiritually orically or whatever. So that affects our physical body. So as a spirit, having a very human experience, they kind of need to be integrated. Um, in the case for patients that should or shouldn't have made it out of a physical situation where it's like, say? I said, I even think that's the case for people that made it out of a situation where it was like a 1% survival rating or even mm-hmm. vice versa, where it's like, they should have definitely made it through and then they passed away. It all has to do with mindset and if you're ready to go or not. I have some people that, some older adults where they say, I want to go and it could be just the common cold or a minor version of the flu. And then they just let that take over and then they just say, I'm done. Do you think that's what's happening kind of with Corona? To an extent, I think that's some, some part of it. Sometimes it's an excuse for people to check out and it's not in a bad way. It's, that's just their path. That's what they're ready yeah. to do at this moment in time. And that was just the thing that came along to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, it could also be junk food. It's the same thing mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned yeah. with that. It's just an outlet of performing the act that they want to have happen and prove that they're ready to be done. Mm-hmm. I have some cancer patients, or I think there's a book called Dying to Be Me. I think it's by a Needham. Oh, I don't remember it. It's a blue cover. I think it has clouds on it. It's a really cool book. She talks about how she went into organ failure. She left her body and she was like, I'm not done yet. And then she mm-hmm. went back in. She had a really rocky recovery, but she made it. Like her, I think her doctors gave her husband like almost like a one or zero percent chance that she'd make it. Wow. 
So from my perspective, that's also integrated in the spiritual part of it of, are you ready to be done? Have you learned everything that you've wanted to learn in this lifetime where mm -hmm. that can even override the physical perspective? So I always like to think of those three aspects of, of the human body or just the human, whatever you want to call it, energy. Um, physical is the least effective, but the easily accessible. Okay. Emotional yeah. is the second to medium um, most effective, and it's a little more difficult to access, but it's still doable. Spiritual is the most potent form of medicine, but it's also the hardest to obtain and hardest to kind of tap into. Yeah. Wow. I love that. Um, so now we're going to move into you giving me a reading. <laughs> you don't need to be anxious. You're okay. I'm like, okay, what is she going to say? Um, and, and guys, everybody who's listening, I've given her full like permission to bring up anything and everything, uh, openly. So I'm testing it out for you. <laughs> yeah, we discussed boundaries. I said, I mean, I want to be clear yeah. that I, I don't have to mention specific categories in your life. We can deal with that at another time or if you just, no, let's do it. Let's do it. We'll do it on here. I can always edit and cut it out if I'm really obsessed. <laughs> <laughs> and that's fine. Um, just in your immediate energy or just in your body as a whole, not getting too specific on different parts, uh, something with finances did pop up and I saw a mother figure and I also saw a son figure. So that does not necessarily mean your mother or your son figure. It could just be however you view it that way. So I'm curious if you're worried about them being able to survive or if you feel the need or necessity to support them in some kind of way. That showed up first. Tell me what okay. pops up when I give you that information. Um, finances have always been always been a problem my whole life, um, but mostly because of my parents for sure. And um, I'm, I'm nothing resonates with the son figure yet, but definitely my mom, um, my dad as well. But does your sister have a son? Does my sister has a son? Yeah. Okay, so it might be worried about that he's not going to get the resources or his needs met in some Well, way. you know what? Actually, um, my parents have adopted four children, and I've taken them on as my own a little bit internally, subconsciously. Mm -hmm. I'm feeling like um, it's actually, that's so weird, actually. I just signed lease on an apartment to stay here in Kansas City um, when I had plans to move and go somewhere else. And I was like, well, just in case something happens with my parents so I can take care of the kids so okay. that was yeah that's so, that's pretty clear <laughs> the names of these kids or your sister's son so I can pinpoint specifically who this is just so we can say that again um pinpoint list off every child's name and I can pinpoint who's specifically coming through with that son okay. figure so there's Josiah Levi David Christopher Lexi Anna okay I got a hit on Levi mm-hmm yeah Tell me what worries that you have about Levi. Or what are you worried that he's not going to be able to have or that he might miss out on as far as a need financially? Like, it, could it be medical care? It could be... Um, I don't know if I have a conscious one as much as I know that he's the oldest of the four that they adopted. Um, I listed also my two nephews because you're saying a son or something, but um, he is the oldest of the ones that they adopted so when they my first my parents decided that they were going to take on more children I was like what the heck are you doing <laughs> um so it might have started with him okay is he a caretaker energy does he feel responsible for his for his younger siblings at yes. all okay. and actually that makes him a lot like me um because I'm also the oldest of four so there's eight of us total now 
So in that way, I've always felt responsible for taking care of my siblings. And so I see that with him. And do you see that as a form of respect of that these people are willing to take care of these certain peoples and therefore I need to make sure they're always taken care of, meaning your mother figure and Mm -hmm. also this Levi figure? Okay, so that's showing up. So be conscious of that. I think in the back of your mind, that's the thing that you worry about the most is I'm not necessarily worried about the younger children, but I am worried about him because he might be physically okay, but emotionally, I don't know if he's getting what he needs or if yeah. something happens, he might be the first one to kind of have a, a meltdown. Mm-hmm. Of sorts. So I'm, I'm wondering with your mother, your mother feels, I'm going to use the term kind of open to talk about things. She feels a little guarded with some things, but other things she feels comfortable talking about. I think that if you were to say, well, mom, I'm worried about you that you're not addressing this or addressing that. And it sounds like she might have the response of, it's okay, I, I am, or I, I will deal with it on my own time. Like, don't worry about me. I'm yep. okay, yep. kind of deal. So do you, how is this related to finances? Do you feel like out of those two people, out of your whole family, do you feel the need to give back to them because of their sacrifice? Or tell me why you might feel like that's related to finances. Um especially lately, I've felt like, you know, the threat of something happening to my parents um, and knowing that I'll need to step in as a caretaker and feeling that type of responsibility behind that of like, okay, how are we going to um, provide for these children? Or, you know, I always had in my mind college, like, how are they going to be able to go to school or be able to afford certain activities or things like that? Because we grew up super poor and me not wanting them to have the same experience. They're too young to really like notice it right now, but like as they get older, it's something that I've, I've thought about a lot. So this is a really good point that um, I see a lot of the times in parent or parental figures where it's the, I have to provide versus support. So most people consider providing as a form of love. And I think in general, most people don't necessarily need to have that. They feel like they need to have just support. Mm-hmm. They're like, I don't care if I'm homeless, as long as I can call you and talk to you, or you can just give me a hug. That's all I really care about. Mm-hmm. And I have a feeling that's all Levi would say, especially mm-hmm. when he's older. He's like, I don't care if you send me to college. I don't care if I have a nice car or nice clothes or any of this, or if we live in a cardboard box. Like, I appreciate so much that you're there for me, and that's all I need, and that's all that I care about. I have a feeling your mom would say the exact same thing to you. Mm-hmm. You don't need to give me anything. Yeah. Like, please, just. <laughs> just call me once in a while. Let me know you're okay. Like just have a conversation with me. That's all I want from you. So when providers can look at it from that perspective, it takes a lot of pressure off of themselves Mm -hmm. and they realize that they're already okay the way that they are. Mm -hmm. So that's a perfect example of working through. I'm not okay with something. How can I be okay with something by realizing that I can shift from provider to support figure? Yeah. Interesting. Yes. Okay. Okay, let's see what else pops up. Give me a moment. See, Next thing that's popping up has to do with housing, and it has to do with the logistics of housing, and I know that you just mentioned the contract thing, but it feels like there's something else. It might be, how can I accommodate them coming to visit me? Meaning, do I need to get a bunk bed? Do I need to get, like, these roll-out mattresses or, like, sleeping bags or something along the lines of that? Tell me your thought process when that comes up. Um, it's actually not that, but you're on, you're on to something, (laughs) um, logistic wise, like uh, housing is an issue. Um, just because I'm 
oh, this is vulnerable. <laughs> um, I always imagine myself living somewhere else, mm-hmm. um, living further away, um, living somewhere by the ocean or, or overseas or something. And I always kind of come back to the kids of like, okay, well, I don't want to be too far away because in case something happens, especially like with Corona and everything that's going on, I made the decision to stay here. Um, because I was like, it's not practical to leave just in case something happens. Like I want to make sure that I'm here to be able to support. Um, so there's been some, <laughs> there's been some emotions around that and feeling like, um, it's guilt. Yeah. Like there's a lot of guilt. Like every time I talk about like leaving or moving somewhere else or whatever, I get a lot, I get a lot of guilt, um, from just myself. And then also the expression of others out of love, like we're going to miss you or, um, you're going to be so far away or, you know, that kind of thing or whatever. And always feeling like I don't, I don't want to go super far for, for like super long term. And sorry, so I just made a connection in my head right now. Um, <laughs> cause I've had certain, a lot of circumstances where I've tried to move far away and then always end up getting brought back and like a rubber band and I, and it's, and it's maddening and it makes me so upset because I'm like, I, I don't get to get to want what I want. And I just, just made the connection. I was like, oh gosh, I might be that subconscious belief that's keeping me here. Mm-hmm. It's the provider versus the support figure. Yeah. Well, if I have to be the provider, then I can't leave. That would be irresponsible. But if I'm a support figure and they can call me, they can FaceTime me. Yeah. As long as they know I'm there for them emotionally, that's all they need. And that then you can actually cry. be happy and release that guilt. Yeah. Shit. All right. Because I think, especially Levi, Levi feels more sensitive too. That if yeah, he yeah. said you you told him, well, I'm staying here for you, he'd be like, "That's dumb. Don't do that. Like, go away <laughs> in in the nicest form possible." Yeah. Where it's, please don't do that. I love you. I care about you. I think it's great to have you around, but don't be miserable or unhappy because of me. I would hate that. Mm. I don't think he can ar- articulate that at this age. No. <laughs> at this age. I think if he had a voice and could articulate his thoughts that would be the impression i'm getting coming through so like how i mentioned that's kind of over your general um body i think that's affecting a lot of different areas of your life and now we're just going through and pinpointing how specifically that's affecting different Mm -hmm. parts yeah so that definitely has to do with the housing and i think that's why you keep being brought back like a rubber band is because you, you feel like you need to take care of them yeah that like you guys who are listening, I'm having a very real reaction um, because I, like, it's something that I'm going to have to really process because it's been something over the last few years that I've been feeling. Um, there are other things that we haven't gotten into yet that are connected to this particular issue. Um, but that's something that like, I, I was like, for a second, I was like, oh, I need to write that down. And I was like, oh, I'm recording an entire podcast. It's fine. I can go back and listen to it. Um, yeah. Wow. That kind of, that kind of hits me a little bit. The other part related to that, I keep getting it's, I I keep hearing the word fault and not your fault. I'm trying to figure out how that fits into the puzzle. Give me one moment to see if I could figure that out or come up with more information related to it. Do you feel like something bad happened to your parents where they did have an episode, like a health episode or something emotionally bad happened and you felt like you had to come home at one point? Is that one reason why you were? No. Um... No, but there's something intuitively that comes to me uh, that's past life. 
Um, I don't get a hit on that. Save that for a second. Okay. I think that's related to this in a different way. But th this other thing keeps being prompted to talk about first because I think that'll help whatever you're thinking of at the moment. Give me one second to pinpoint that. Do you feel like something bad will happen to your parents health-wise? I'm always afraid of it. Do you feel like that's your fault? Not consciously, no. Okay. From a little girl perspective, it feels like that you got the love and attention that you did by helping your parents. Would yes. you agree with that? A million percent. I think if they had a acute health challenge, that you would view it from that little girl perspective of this is my fault. And that's another element of this guilt of I have to be the provider mm -hmm. compared to I'm going to allow you to learn whatever lesson you need to in whatever form you need to, mm -hmm. whether that's a lot of suffering or no suffering, and just be here as an emotional support figure. Yeah. Meaning, mom, if you get a knee surgery or something like that because you banged your knee, I don't know, I'm making this up, banged your knee into a wall for 30 years straight every single day, I can't change that for you. All I can do is offer emotional support. That's not my fault. Right. It's not my fault that you got sick. It's not my job to take care of you. I, I hear it's not my responsibility. Yes. Like fault I, is not the word that hits me, but responsibility is. Like I definitely feel responsible. Yep. There was a time where my mom, she had, um, uh, we were, oh gosh, it was like senior year, uh, right before graduation. And it was the night that like all the seniors went out and I don't know, we like TP'd or something. I don't know, something stupid. <laughs> and that morning I had like a weird thing. I was like, I need to go home. I don't know why, but I need to go home. And I went home and my mom was essentially uh, bleeding out, um, having this kind of hysterectomy issue or whatever. And I had to, had to like pick her up and take her to the hospital. There we go. That was that issue I was talking about. Okay. Yeah. I think that you would feel very guilty if something like that were to occur again. And that you and I wasn't there. Again. Yep. Now it's also... I think even oh my with God, you're going to cry. Like, <laughs> I think even with that hysterectomy thing, though, I think she had a lot of symptoms or she had the sense of knowing that something's wrong yeah. and she chose not to do something about it. And you're making that your responsibility. Right. It's hard yeah. to see our parents suffer. Like, it really is because you're like, why are you doing this to yourself? Don't yeah. do this. But sometimes they're not going to learn any other way. It's like the kid that says, Mom, I want to put my hand on the stove. And the mom's right. like, don't do it. Like, Trust right. me, from my own personal experience, don't do it. Like, it's hot, it'll hurt you. Right. They don't get it still. So then you go, don't touch the stove. And they're like, I don't know, I'm curious about it. I know I'm not supposed <laughs> to, but I, I don't know. And then you say, okay, fine, touch the stove. They touch the stove, they get burned, and they say, oh, I'm never doing that again. Like, they, they're not getting it yet where it hasn't clicked yeah. before they've learned their lesson. And sometimes people have to do that even into death where it's like, okay, I, I learn the lesson or I'll learn it in the next life. Yeah. And it's hard for us to allow our, our loved ones to suffer while they're learning their lessons. Cause you're like, do you really have to burn your hand on the stove to get the lesson not to put your hand on the stove? Mm -hmm. Some people do. Yeah. It's hard not to do that or to just let them do it. Um, going into the past life situation that you were talking about, tell me what pops up for that. Do you remember the age or time period or event that happened at all when you were? Um, I think that the 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 parental thing or feeling like some type of responsibility. I had uh, a couple of lifetimes where, or actually, okay, I remember now. Um, when I came into this life as a two and three year old person, 
Um, I grew up super religious. And so um, when we would do our prayers at night, I would always pray. Thank you, Lord, for, for um, not letting my mommy and daddy die. And, or please don't let my mommy and daddy die or something like that. My mom thought like, that is so weird for two-year-old, three-year-old someone to, to be praying for. Um, so I, I think that that's something that I might've experienced in the, the prior life because to come in so young and already be thinking so closely about death, um, about the possibility of death or the possibility of my parents dying or being orphaned. Um, that was a huge fear of mine as a, as a very, very young child. And when you're saying it from that perspective, I'm seeing you as this young adult woman and you're holding a baby and the baby ended up passing away. And I think that might be where your sense of responsibility also comes from of, I can't let the people that I love die. I've already done this once. I can't let myself down and let this happen again, almost to the point where it's obsessive. Like Mm -hmm. I will do anything to make sure that this doesn't happen, even Mm -hmm. if it's almost killing myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ooh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what does that show up for? And uh, I mean, cause I know I totally see what you're saying and I totally see where that operates and manifests in the rest of my life as far as like blocking me from, from moving to certain uh, areas or achievements or things that I want. How does that manifest physically? So physically I saw the, the housing detail anyway on your frontal brain and your frontal brain is normally in charge of um, clear thought process. Mm-hmm. So you might be experiencing a lot of, um, brain fog at this moment in time, or when you get feeling bogged down with responsibility, it might be like, I don't have a brain anymore. Like, mm-hmm. I don't remember what day it is. Don't know where my keys are. I've been looking for them for 20 minutes, something mm-hmm. along the lines of yeah. that. That's about right. <laughs> Whenever you have brain fog, now you can make the connection of I'm feeling over responsible for someone's feelings mm-hmm. or someone's outcome. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then you go back to, and you say, now that I have this symptom, I've identified what this is related to. And I understand that I don't have to be a provider. I can be a supporter and Mm -hmm. still fulfill my role. Wow. Okay. I will take that into account. (laughs) That's essentially the process in a nutshell of how that works. We go in, we pinpoint why this is happening or in the blind reading, why something is stored there, figure out specifically what that belief is, talk about it, figure out a way for you to become okay with it. And then you have a new piece of information. If that ever flares up again, Mm-hmm. Um, well, remember, I can look at it differently this way, and then I can become 100% okay with it. Is this what's causing some of my my physical issues? Um, in general, or just with the brain fog? Um, no, in general, I have like hormone issues and stuff. About 70% of it, from my perspective. Whoa. Yeah. So that's it's not, it's that's major, not what I thought it would have been. It's a major core belief. It's all underneath that umbrella. Mm-hmm. Wow. I thought it would be something completely different. I was not even aware of that. Like total, I feel a little bit blindsided. (laughs) And I think that's normal because we store it in our body because it's so subconscious a lot of the times or Mm -hmm. something that's very difficult like this has been very difficult for you to talk about. And it's very vulnerable and it's very emotional. And we tend to just push it back, push it back, push it back because at the beginning of this, as I was talking to you, you losing your parents at this moment in time or something happening to one of those kids would probably be one of the worst things that could ever possibly happen to you. Yeah. That's hard to acknowledge and to deal with and to work through. Yeah. Damn girl. (laughs) But this is so cool. So like when, um, other people like just to give people an idea, like if they were to come into your office or whatever, how long is a typical appointment? Um, would it like, is there follow-up after that? Like how long do you work with them? 
Yep. So I do 30 minute intuitive sessions. So what we just did, I would imagine half of this interview is about 30 minutes. We did a lot in 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of stuff to process. Imagine going through this for 60 minutes or 90 minutes. <laughs> You're like, well, I'm done, done. I'm out. Yeah. I can't do this. Put me in a coma for a few days. Too yeah. much. <laughs> so 30 minutes tends to be the maximum amount of yeah. time. And I recommend at the minimum people check in with me once a month so we can continue working on things through the past and the present instead of you checking in every six months or two years where it's like, I have all of this going on and I need it solved right here, right now. I'm like, it does not work like that. I'm not a miracle worker. It takes yeah. time and dedication to work through some of these things because it's been there for so many years. How long have you felt like a provider? Years and years and mm -hmm. years and years and years. Wow. I'm, I'm just like, it's hard to figure out where to go with the rest with this interview because <laughs> I'm so like in my feelings right now. <laughs> And thinking about how that would process, like how many situations in my life, how like just now, like I'm just, just being honest and telling people like my actual experience, um, I'm connecting to at least eight different experiences in this moment right now is probably more, um, that are in some way connected to this, bringing me right back here, have, keeping me stuck. Like I'm not allowed to leave or I'm not allowed to have um, a different type of lifestyle, or I haven't been able to call in a partner and, or have my own kids. Um, because I've always seen them as, and it's, that is so weird because a couple of days ago, even I was like, well, it's okay if I don't have kids, like the, the kids are like my kids. So God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> and it takes a while to process. Normally after a session, I recommend just booking out the rest of the day and being like, just, just allow yourself to have all of those thoughts pop up because it's almost like a library book, like stacks of library books mm -hmm. where you start going through like, I didn't even know this closet existed. You mm -hmm. open the closet up and you're like, oh, I had no idea this was here. And naturally your instinct is to go in and pick up every single book and look through it and be like, what is this? What is this? What is this? So it takes some time to process it. So I have some people that are like, I'm so done with my life right now where they're just like, my life is a shit show. And they work with me on a weekly basis because they're like, I have so much stuff in my past that is creating my current present. I have no idea what my future is going to be like right now. Yeah. Let's open, find all of these closet doors so I can slowly but surely start to sort out everything. Mm -hmm. Because if they did that on a monthly basis, it might take them years to sort through, if that makes sense. So it really just depends on how serious someone is and working through all of this. But for the normal, like average everyday person, I recommend checking in once a month because mm -hmm. there are things that we all have that we haven't dealt with or things that will come up in the present moment that we need help figuring out. How can I look at this differently? Something that I didn't expect is that it would, you, the reading itself would tie in more to the manifestation aspects of my life versus my actual health. Mm -hmm. and which I think is actually kind of cool because I would rather know the other stuff but <laughs> um as far as that goes like when you that's kind of it's pretty well-rounded so you would go in figure out like it would come to you what the beliefs are then assess or process whatever that belief is for that person that's blocking them and then do you get into like imagine I had a brain tumor, I don't, which let's not put that in the universe, but <laughs> hypothetically. Um, so if, if that had been the issue, you would have then made the assessment right there. I think you have X or I think you have this, go to the proper doctor and find out like if that's what you have or like, how does that work? 
Sure. So if there's a concern like that, I can say these are the amount of emotional beliefs that I see stored or affecting this area of the body. I'm not going to give you any physical insights because that's what your provider does. Right. So let's say if you're really struggling with headaches, I could be like, from my perspective, you have five emotional beliefs related to this headache. Let's mm -hmm. go through and work on each individual one so you're aware of it. And if that pops up again, you know exactly how to deal with it right mm -hmm. away. So it won't be like, oh, I think you have headaches because of a brain tumor or something like that. Yeah, I don't yeah. do that with personal clients. I only provide that information to providers as a resource, and then they can go in and investigate it because I never want to be irresponsible with the information right. you provide. Right. Okay. So that so people can expect more of what you did with me today. Yes. So it can be whether it's actually stuck in the body, like I have like headaches. The example I gave, we can work through it that way if you present mm -hmm. me with a problem. Or I can say, in general, this is what I see affecting your physical reality, whether it's housing, relationships, finances, family, whatever it is. Yeah. And it's just stored around your body or in your body somewhere. Whether or not that is actually manifested as a symptom, I don't necessarily know that all of the time. Right. But if you want to ask about a specific area, I can say, this is how many emotional beliefs are stored in this area. And we can mm -hmm. work through that together. To help Where were the emotional beliefs you were reading from me stored? So in general, the, um, the thing that I was talking about with finances, mother and son, that was just in your general presence or in your whole entire body. The housing was in that frontal brain, which can mm -hmm. cause brain fog from my perspective. Mm -hmm. Okay. Got it. Got it. Yep. So cool. All right. So like, um, can you tell everybody where they can find you? Yes. So I have a website. You can go to www.myrayofhope.com, click on the personal clients tab, and then you'll see a spot to schedule an intuitive session. I charge $60 for 30 minute sessions. Mm -hmm. So again, this is a process that involves seeing me multiple times and on a regular basis so that you don't get stuck to where you were before. We keep continuously working things out to help you get to where you wanna be. Uh, you can also go to my Facebook page, uh, facebook.com, backslash Ray of Hope LLC. Um, on there, I provide a lot of personal updates, fun stories like what we talked about today. And then I also have an Instagram handle, m.i.rayofhope, and you can see a lot of journal prompts in order to work through some of these physical realities that pop up. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being on the show and giving me a personal reading. Guys, I hope you guys at least got something personal out of that <laughs> um, aspect of that. I think that that's something really that's I am rarely speechless. <laughs> so to get to a point, like even to move me to tears, um, like, I think that's really, really incredibly powerful. I will be telling people about you for sure, for sure. Um, and if you guys like this episode, make sure to subscribe and like, um, follow uh, Rachel on her uh, social medias. We'll have tagged in below and we will see you in the next episode. Bye. interested in becoming a client for energy coaching, find me at www.thelovelyalia.com to read more about what I do or hit me up on IG at thelovelyalia for daily content and inspiration.